The way the church tells time, we are just past the midpoint of the long season of Eastertide. In the garden at our house, the daffodils and even the tulips are starting to look a little weary after holding the front line of spring for these several weeks. And the newly restrung clothesline in our yard reminds me of an elemental law of physics that on the long haul from point A to point B, the middle of the journey is always where the sag is. Last Sunday, Pastor Ashley wisely observed that the nature of the spiritual exhilaration of Easter isn't about going back, it's about going on. Easter doesn't impose or restore perfection. No, Easter insists on and enables resilience, quite a different thing. After the horror of Jesus' execution, no one could blame his traumatized friends for wanting more than anything to have things back to the way they were before. But Jesus' rising teaches us about our own. If the alleluias start to sag or give way to feeling perhaps weary or disoriented, or still marked by things that happened before, things we can't forget, things that aren't over. Well, that too is in the physics of Easter. Though the four Gospels skitter off in their several directions when it comes to telling the stories of Eastertide, one thing they all agree on is that the risen Jesus who somehow rejoined his shattered, scattered community, came to them bearing and bearing wounds. I'm sure you remember the story of Thomas, the one who wasn't there when the risen one first appeared and insisted that it would take actually seeing the wounds and the life, taking them in together in the same eyeful, as it were, to persuade him that it was all true. Because otherwise, he, Thomas, would have nothing to offset the unforgettable sight of those wounds being inflicted. So then when, after some days, they were all together, and then somehow, suddenly, Jesus was there too with them, wounds and all, what Jesus said to Thomas was, here are the wounds you remember, but here, too, is the life you remember. Jesus came not to erase Thomas's terrible memories, but to heal them, which is a different thing. By showing how real they were and how much they mattered and how much they were not the end of the story. Now, when you think about it, it's a remarkable thing that the risen Jesus came to his astonished friends bearing wounds. Easter didn't tidy up the picture, didn't smooth out the gash in the memory. Easter wasn't and isn't about restoring the smooth surface. It's about going deeper, not going back. 
going on. But of course, not all wounds are as visible as the ones that so preoccupied Thomas. And so this morning, we have another part of the story of those messy days when the splintered community was still trying to sort out what was alive from what was dead, just as we are this morning in this sagging Eastertide, as we try to take in the wounds inflicted by the 199th mass shooting this year, yesterday, and our conviction that the Risen One is still alive here among us. How does any one of us hold those things together in one weary, disoriented, Eastertide heart? Well, we pick up where we left off last week by the sea up in Galilee where the disciples have returned to their familiar work of fishing, perhaps hoping to find their way back to the way things used to be. There, they've had another disorienting, wonderful encounter with whatever part of Jesus it was that wasn't dead after all. They've just hauled in an amazing catch of 153 fish. That's the number that Scripture testifies to. And then they've had a sort of sacramental breakfast together with the risen one by a fire. But there's unfinished business there on the beach. The others are buzzing with wonder as they secure the boat, see to the net full of fish, the remnants of breakfast, as Jesus pulls one of them aside. He'd given a nickname to his friend, this friend, called him Peter, which really means rock. But this time, even though they've just finished what must have been a heartwarming breakfast, Jesus speaks his friend's full name, so that there's no mistaking the gravitas of the question that needs to be asked. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Rock said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Even though there's no mention of wounds, there's no mistaking the presence of a wound, or maybe now it's a scar in the exchange between them. Like Thomas, but in his own way, Peter can hardly see the present for remembering the past. He looks down at his feet, but he's not seeing the wet sand caked around their toes, not feeling the little lapping waves of the tide coming in or the warm sun beginning to break through the morning haze. There are scars that remain in flesh and mark places where wounds happened, but then sometimes there are scars too in the space between bodies, between people, and Peter is running the fingers of his memory over one of those scars when the repetition of the question takes his breath away and confirms the 
unfinished work of Easter. A second time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter said to him, yes, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Peter is barely on the beach anymore. He's back in a courtyard in Jerusalem at the high priest's house with a different kind of warmth flushing his cheeks, the hot blush of shame and fear, wishing he could stop watching the scene play again and again on the screen of his regret, hearing the edge of each of those voices that asked him the question there by the fire in the courtyard on that horrible night, weren't you a friend of his? Didn't you know him? Aren't you one of them? I don't need to tell you that sometimes the wounds that most need healing in this life are in places so deep that you can't see them, can't exactly touch them, though you surely can put your finger on them. Sometimes those wounds ask not to be erased or purified, but just, just to be acknowledged. Like the wounds, the wounds in a nation's history that don't go away just because you don't tell that part of the story. Those wounds that cannot be erased just need to be acknowledged. Both of them standing there on the beach remember what happened. Both bear the scars. But before we can really get very far in reassembling the splinters and shards of a community shattered by fear and shame, before we can really get very far in the work of Easter, we have to do what needs to be done, the speaking, the owning, the understanding, in order to touch the scars with healing. James Baldwin famously wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Jesus said to rock the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after this, he said to Peter, follow me. I wonder which of the three times Jesus asked the question was the time that Peter finally heard his Easter come. Maybe the scar would remain, as scars do. After all, all four of the Gospels remember Peter's denials in the high priest's courtyard in Jerusalem on the night of Jesus' arrest. And every time you see a rooster on the top of a weather vane to this day, as you will, for instance, if you visit our sister congregation over on Cambridge Common, 
Every time you see a rooster on a weather vane, it's meant to remind you to run the fingers of your memory over that very scar and wonder what you would have done if it had been you. But maybe it can remind us of Easter, too, which is to say, remind us of the reweaving of that shattered, splintered, bewildered band of fishers into a community again, not going back, but going on. A family, a movement, an incoming tide, a warmth of sun breaking through the haze of cruelty and indifference with the simple, purposeful words, feed my sheep. Oh, Jesus gave us many gifts. The sacred meal, the blessings, the beatitudes are written on my heart after all these years. And all those stories that Kate is upstairs teaching the next generation even now. But I don't think Jesus gave us any greater gift than the gift we watch him give Peter. Peter fixated on those scars when Jesus said simply, feed my sheep. And in doing that, gave Peter back to the human family, to the human race, and gave us to each other, really. Tend my lambs. Keep them safe. Don't let them get shot. Help them tell each other the true story of their history, scars and all. Make your way back into the human family, he said, and receive from me, he said, the highest commission, which is also the highest joy. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the work of the unfinished Easter that's still breaking through the doors behind which we lock our memories sometimes. The unfinished and always untidy Easter that's still waiting for us in the deep places between the shards of memory of the things that happened that now can never unhappen, yet still can be lived on from. The risen one comes again and invites us by name to touch the scar and understand it for what it is, and to hear ourselves speak to it the truth of our best selves, and then, then to hear him point the way on into the movement of love that is even now still reassembling itself from shards and splinters back into a family again, an incoming tide of mercy and justice and beauty to hear his voice urging us three times or as many times as it takes to face what must be faced and change what can be changed. Feed my sheep, he says. Maybe the greatest gift he ever gave us. Tend my lambs. Find your way back into the web of life. Look down at your toes caked in the sand, the sun of the new day breaking through the morning haze. And notice that your feet are finally 
free, free to follow.